0: universe. I did not uh, start, I did not launch Kickers, Inc. and I'm not, I completely honestly can't even remember what issue I took over. It might have been four or five, I'm not sure. And that's what I did for New Universe.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So were you involved with the creation of the new universe at all in like the pre-stages?
0: I was not if I remember correctly I came on staff and it was already in the making at that point it really was a um, the brainchild of Jim Shooter specifically with the mandate of the world outside your window I think he believed and again I'm repeating this third hand I think he believed that in some way the Marvel Universe had gotten away from us that you know if Galactus is showing up Every other month in New York, it would become very difficult for regular people to get out of bed and go to work and pay their bills and do all that, that it it really, possibly, the fantasy level of the Marvel Universe had written us away from our audience, and it was harder and harder for our audience to identify with the characters in the Marvel Universe. I, I, I think, and again I'm speaking for someone else here, I think that's what Jim believed and Jim was trying to recapture. A world that was more accessible and uh, identifiable to our audience.
1: Now, did you agree with that idea that it had gotten too far away from sort of the realism or I guess the real life problems that were one of the things that made Marvel stick out?
0: Um, i mixed, you know, I, I could answer that either way. Uh, I, I understand his point. I, I do particularly think that, you know, after Galactus shows up more than once, it's going to upset the entire world economy, et cetera. If you're going to take a realistic approach to it. However, comic books were fantasy they were meant to be fantasy. They required a willing suspension of disbelief, which our audience willingly offered us. Uh, I I got his point. I understood his point. I'm not sure it was that important to rein it back in. I, I think, you know, once it's been done, it's been done. You have to accept it. If anything, shine a spotlight on it and move it forward that way. Maybe do stories that this as I say this, it doesn't sound very dramatic, but do stories about how it impacts the world economy and how it has to change things. The Marvel Universe was a different world than we all lived in. And I think it would have, in my opinion, it'd be best to just accept that and write it that way and treat it that way. Again, all that said, I was a a fill-in assistant editor when I started at Marvel for someone who was out sick Then I was a um, submissions editor, I was in the submissions editor office, and then I came on staff officially as an assistant editor on the X-Men books under Ann Nisenti, so I, you know, my function was really as a trafficking agent and a processing person, uh, I didn't have much say. In, in the larger editorial decisions. And Jim Shooter had the final say, obviously.
1: Okay. Uh, so, Kickers, Inc., I talked to Carl Potts a bit about the book and how it went through a lot of changes and how when he was brought on he was trying to get as many issues that could actually sell better than they had been before. Like, he was trying to rain the book in, make sure it came out on time, and make sure that it would actually sell well. What would, Do you remember any of your experiences like starting off in the book or how you ended up getting that assignment? Uh,
0: I, I had a great working experience with Carl and personal experience. Carl's a good guy, he was a great editor, he was exactly the right choice to try and rein in a book and get it on time. I believe that all the New Universe books were in a bit of trouble schedule wise. Uh, it had to do with, um, how do I put this? Uh, I, I'm not sure everybody was living up to Jim Shooter's vision of this. And again, this really was his baby. So he had a very clear vision of how he wanted it to go. He couldn't write every book or even line edit every book as the editor in chief. So a lot of times the scheduling issues happen because the writers work to the vision of the editor, but that wasn't necessarily the same vision as the editor-in-chief. So then 13th hour changes would be made, which would get a book behind schedule. Um, My memory of how uh, I got the writing assignment for Kickers, Inc. is I think Carl needed a last-minute I don't remember what happened to the previous writer, which was Tom DeFalco. I I don't know how Tom ended up leaving the book. And he had established a great cast of characters and a great through line on the book. So it was easy to pick it up from there. And I think Carl needed something done very quickly as someone who was in the office and someone he'd had experience with and had conversations with about storytelling. I guess he thought uh, I was a good choice to give it a shot. Actually, I think it might even have been Michael Higgins first. I'm not even sure who first asked me to do a sort of fill-in issue. I did that, but apparently Carl liked it enough that he asked me to do more. And one of the things I did at that point, because I was learning. This was my very first writing assignment ever. Oh, wow. I was on the other side in editorial. And one of the things I did, and we had learned a lot from Jim Shooter about storytelling... So on every plot page I wrote at the bottom, a little aside to the artist and the editor saying, this, this page is intended to introduce Jack Magna Conte and his powers. This page is intended to introduce the supporting cast. This page is intended to introduce the uh, conflict, the can't-must conflict. And then I would describe what that was. And I would do that at the bottom of every page. And I think, if I remember correctly, Carl was impressed by that. Carl liked that, and it was clear that I had an intent for every single page and scene and wasn't just sort of winging it. I remember him saying he he liked that and that he sort of wished more writers would do that, even just as an exercise for themselves, even if they didn't communicate it to the artist or editor. If they did it for themselves and knew exactly what the intent of every page was, it would make for a stronger story. I suspect that had to do with why Carl gave me the writing assignment long-term.
1: Yeah, I, I'm i actually with you there. I like to try and... I, I write comics as well and I like to try and do that where I know what each page is going for, what the goal of it is, that way I've got a guideline for what I need to be able to set up beforehand and making sure that everything is there.
0: Yes, that so you have your 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 setup. You introduce the elements, and you make sure they pay off later on. Uh, that is usually that's just done in an outline stage first. But since I was a beginning writer, it seemed valuable to me to communicate that to the editor and the artist in case I had done it incorrectly, or in case the artist or editor had a better way of introducing whatever element I was trying to introduce on that page, or paying off whatever element I was trying to. I was certainly open to all eyes possible. My entire experience in comic books, I was that way. Even as a full line editor, I I took input from everywhere. The more eyes, the better. I (laughs) I was really clearly aware that once a book left house with my name on it as editor, it was going to be seen and read by hundreds of thousands of people. And I wanted to avoid embarrassment at all costs. So... I pulled in all the the, uh, advice I could get on every single page I ever sent out of house.
1: So what was Kickers, Inc. about?
0: Uh, It was about a football team um, specifically focused on the quarterback of that football team who had developed some powers uh, subsequent to the White event. Uh, they would basically increased strength and speed. To me, part of what was interesting about the character was his internal conflict. I'm not sure how much of this made it to the actual page, but his internal conflict about wanting to be the best at his chosen profession, and he was really good at it before he had his powers. And then how did he balance that? How did he not really exercise his powers on the field uh, in a way that he felt would be unfair to everyone else and to me, again, I'm not sure how much of this made it onto the page, but this was what was in my head when I was writing it he would get that out of his system by exercising those powers in other ways off the field Okay, that was his, that was his personal motivation for heroic acts he felt he had these powers he... He had a responsibility to use them. That was a core Marvel concept, as you know, thanks to Spider-Man. He had a responsibility to use them, and he felt a personal uh, obligation to try to not use them on the field. So he had to balance them out some way.
1: Yeah, that, that's definitely a very Marvel-seeming idea. Do you think that, like, because it was about football players, That it may have not necessarily appealed to some of the, I guess, stereotypical Marvel readers at the time, or that may have made it more difficult for people to get into?
0: I suppose that's possible. I honestly wasn't a huge football fan going into it. Uh, More so than other sports, I I liked football, but um, that's certainly possible. It probably was... Counterintuitive to who our audience was. There's this perception in the world that people who like comics don't like sports and vice versa. I wouldn't say that was 100% true, but it's a valid comment to make. Um, That's why I tried to keep much of the comic book off the field. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, he was a football player the same way Peter Parker was a photographer and student, but you didn't do a lot of pages about that. You just used it for some of the internal conflicts to the character, but you didn't you didn't base a lot of the action there. I also think it's possible, you know, Ron Friends was the artist and a terrific, great Marvel Comics artist, one of the best storytellers out there. I'm not sure his style lent to this more realistic look that uh, Jim wanted for the new universe because it was so dramatically comic book and almost Jack Kirby in its approach I'm not sure it, it, it sent the exact message of realism he did great football scenes he did great action scenes but he did great character scenes there's, there's nothing I would fault Ron for doing but uh, I'm not sure it lent itself to the style that Jim envisions for the book
1: yeah that's An interesting point. So, why do you think the new universe didn't really catch on?
0: My personal opinion, Mm -hmm. uh, if I had just been a fan at that point, my interest was in the Marvel Universe. Had it spun out of the Marvel Universe more directly, uh, possibly it would have had a larger fan base. It even might have had a better... Response from the fan press under those circumstances. But I think creating something new out of whole cloth um, didn't necessarily lend itself to, you know, again, if it's spun out of one of the titles, Fantastic Four or something like that, yeah, maybe. And then people would feel it was part of the ongoing continuity of the Marvel Universe. But we also had an audience, especially at that time a very specific probably teenage audience maybe early 20s they had limited funds available to them and if it meant they were going to have to give up reading iron man or captain america that month to be able to buy a new title that did not tie into the universe they were already invested in and didn't necessarily even promise the flamboyance and excitement level of the marvel universe that might have been a non-starter for a lot of those fans.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there. It seems like a weird way to start a universe, very whole cloth that way, especially with books that, for the most part, weren't connected to each other.
0: Yes, I agree. I agree. That was the strength of the Marvel Universe for me, growing up over the D.C. universe. Yes, the D.C. universe, the characters knew each other and they interacted in Justice League, but you could read an issue of, you know, Spider-Man and Thor would fly by overhead and there was this real sense of a coherent universe and you were peeking in at a much larger picture. I'm not sure the new universe presented that way.
1: Yeah, one of the uh, goals that i've read i i've yet to uh talk to uh jim shooter yet was that he wanted to have this full universe but it's not all connected and like some of the books seem to not even necessarily require that they are in the same universe so it's very weird i am hoping i I get to talk to him about what uh the plans were and what some of the thinking was behind that
0: I would, you know, until you just said that, I'm not sure I was even aware that they they were deliberately disconnected from each other. Um, and I'm be very curious to hear Jim's answer to why that was an intent.
1: So, what do you think the legacy of the new universe is? Is it just this is an idea that didn't work and it's infamous for that? Do you think there was uh, some greater value within the comics that were being put out? That's an
0: interesting question. I think it allowed all of the creators on those books to to really try something new and to stretch their abilities because there was a challenge to it. And there was a very direct challenge from the editor-in-chief to make this work and to make it work at the same time as you were not using all of the established tropes of the comic book universe so while we all knew how to do Marvel comics we did not necessarily know how to do new universe comics so we really did have to stretch our abilities and learn new things for me personally that was a good thing Uh, anything that's a challenge is something that brings out new abilities and strengths in you. And so for me, that's what it did. It really taught me how to write something different than I was already comfortable with. Um, the obvious answer to a legacy question is they're now, you know, star Brandon Nightmask to have their own comic book. It's not something that ever completely went away. The white event has been addressed. And I think the beyonder was included as part of that. I'm not sure, but for, The fans, I'm not sure... I can't speak to, actually, where it sits with them and what they feel about it. I do think the fan press sort of just treated it as a failed experiment, and I'm not sure that was necessarily fair. Uh, And I'm sure current fans have little or no memory or knowledge of the new universe. But I, I also think it led to other companies being willing... To do other universes and understand that other universes could coexist alongside the the main universe at a company. You know, DC in some ways did that with the New 52, and then now with Rebirth, where they're combining them, they're sort of acknowledging these were other universes, but they took place concurrently to each other. DS- I think it opened it it, 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 opened, it expanded the minds of the creators and possibly the fans who went on to become great creators
1: DC seems to have a very strange ebb and flow of whether or not there's only 52 universes or if there's infinite universes or if there's only two so it, it is definitely strange
0: yeah um, I enjoy a lot of DC titles but uh, and and I continue to read both Marvel and DC and many other companies' comics, but DC, it seems to be based more on uh, how a creator wants to treat a particular title. Uh, and I'm, I'm just speaking an outsider's view of that. I have no inside track on that, but I
1: sometimes get confused about what I'm reading and what universe I'm yeah. in when I'm reading it. I, I can get that to a point there definitely seems to be a lot less editorial control over what books a character might be showing up in like back mm-hmm. in the 70s and 80s Wolverine could only appear in one title at a time and now he's in like three well Wolverine's dead but like before that he was showing up in like three or four titles every month
0: yeah so as the editor of Marvel Comics presents uh that was a bit of a Uh, a burden on me because at one point uh, an editorial mandate came down that Wolverine had to be my lead feature uh, and continue to always be my lead feature instead of, you know, we launched with Wolverine as the lead feature and then we used other characters. And when that editorial mandate came down, I had to run everything through the X-Men office, which was run by Bob Harris, who's a good friend of mine was then and still is, but he rightfully, you know, his personal mandate was to protect Wolverine and to tell the best Wolverine stories in his books. So I often faced this situation of <laughs> the better a Wolverine story my creator pitched to me that I had to run through Bob, the less he really wanted it to appear in any book outside of his office, understandably. So we were at odds about we had two separate mandates that conflicted with each other. But we had responsibilities to our own lines. so uh, that that Wolverine example. I just I'm sorry I, I digressed by saying that. I'm off of the New Universe, but that was definitely an issue.
1: No, that is perfectly fine. It, it's a way to build connections to people who are listening who may have not read the New Universe because most of it, except for now, the uh, they've got two volumes of Star Ran out most of it is not in print or even on uh yeah. comicsology or Marvel's uh unlimited app. Yep. Yeah. So, what uh from the work that you've done, what would you say are some of the comics that you're most proud of? It doesn't need to be New Universe related.
0: Huh. Um I'm very proud of my work on Marvel Comics Presents. It was hugely challenging. It was two issues a month with four stories in each issue. So I was dealing with four creative teams every two weeks on that, as well as juggling five other monthly titles, four other monthly titles, I believe, at the same time. Uh, I'm hugely proud of the quality I was able to maintain there, of the opportunity it gave me to try out new talent, to uh, spotlight characters that didn't have their own books and really hadn't gotten any attention in a long time to bring back talent like Don McGregor onto a black Panther serial there to the, the obviously weapon X with Barry Windsor Smith was, I was very proud of and was huge and, and, and really made an impact on the Marvel universe. I. Uh, That's Marvel Comics presents any of the work I did with Alan Davis, I'm hugely proud of, which is Excalibur as an editor. I was the editor on that, or an issue of an X Men annual, I believe it was that I did, that I wrote, that he penciled. Uh, Very proud of Um, work I did on X Universe, uh, my work on Web of Spider Man, and I'm sure. You're aware that uh, for good and bad, I am credited with the Clone Saga, Mm
1: -hmm. with
0: initiating the Clone Saga because that was an idea that sprung from me. I uh, like to qualify that with saying that Howard Mackey and I pitched that concept to be a I believe three or four issue or sorry, three or four month story arc that ran through the Four titles, I think, then, which would be basically a year's worth of story. And because it effectively tripled sales on the Spider Books at the time, the marketing and sales department kept coming in and saying, you have to extend this, you have to extend this. And it ran for two and a half years. And I think some of the fan and press criticism about that storyline came from the fact that it was dragged out. I think it would have been a far more successful and powerful storyline had it run the course it was meant to by Howard, myself, and the other creators and even editorial at the beginning but Marvel at that point was more and more driven by marketing and sales demands Um, so I think a lot of I I think people uh, respect the high concept of the story and what it could have been and Ben Riley would have ended up as the the final Peter Parker slash Spider-Man. And then we would have gotten back to the character's roots. He would have been single. He would have not completed school yet, etc. cetera. Uh, but I think it went bad in getting dragged out for so long. That's my personal opinion because it allows me to absolve myself of any responsibility <laughs> for where it went wrong.
1: <laughs> There's definitely been a lot more uh, people looking back at older stories and taking more of a investigative look at some of the editorial uh backstories of what happened so i think most of the people who have issues with the clone saga do recognize it was sort of pulled to death by its own success
0: yes i hope that's true i hope they do recognize that and i get a lot of people who are growing up you know in the clone saga with some of their first comic books are hugely attached to Ben Riley, And there's great love for that character, Ben Riley, which is what we intended from the beginning. And there's even great respect for the character Kane, which was also the intention. And I think as long as Ben, Peter, and Kane were the only three Peter Parkers, uh, there was strength to it. Once it got to sending the clones, it diluted the entire concept, and it diluted even the value of any, or uniqueness of any of the individual's, involved but i think what we have now is an audience that grew up on those and had the same reaction to those comic books when they first came out the clone saga as i did when i was a kid uh you know comic books affected me greatly i was moved by comic books i learned a lot of my you know outlook on the world for right or wrong from comic books and my morality was shaped by comic books in a lot of ways and I was acutely aware, as were most of the people who worked at Marvel when I was there, that everything we wrote and edited and did might have that same positive effect on the kids, adults, the, the audience reading those comics. And we wanted to bring that level of joy and fun to their lives.
1: That That is wonderful. I mean, like, that's what comic should be there for you're not trying to hopefully you're well I guess you can you're trying to get emotional reactions out of them and hopefully the emotional reactions that you want and hopefully most of the time those are positive
0: absolutely and they were tempered with down moments which, gained, which added to the impact and the value of seeing everything the death of Gwen Stacy you know that was powerful That was really powerful way back when. The death of the Green Goblin basically hoisted on his own guitar when he gets impaled by his own uh, goblin glider. Those were all powerful moments in my childhood, and we were trying to do the same for our audience, and the Clone Saga was meant to address that. We were really looking at telling the story of two good guys in a bad situation, which is not only better drama than a good guy versus a bad guy, because you know who the rooting value is for there. But two good guys in a bad situation is something where everybody, the creators and the audience, has to step back and say, whose side am I on? Do I have to be on a side? Is there always a right and a wrong? There isn't. And that's powerful storytelling when done right. Mm-hmm. And Marvel was always more about the emotional moments than DC was. They, in my mind, and I'm, I'm not the first to say this, You know, uh, DC comics, you know, Batman was Batman and sort of disguised himself as Bruce Wayne in a way, and Superman certainly was Superman first and disguised himself as Clark Kent. The Marvel comics were about the men under the masks. Peter Parker was Peter Parker and he wore a mask to be Spider-Man. It was the exact opposite. We were writing the civilian characters first and what they would do with those powers and costumes if they
1: got them. I agree with you there. I think that's definitely true and it's something that some people have tried to bring into the dc universe but it doesn't necessarily work
0: i agree and i think a large part of that being brought into the dc universe is bob harris as editor-in-chief because he came from a marvel sensibility and bob and i had many discussions about what i just said to you over the years long before he moved over to dc and he too was aware that the humanity of the Marvel characters was, was front and center, uh, whereas that wasn't necessarily the case with the DC characters. I love DC comics, I love a lot of those characters, but it was just a different ballgame. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so because you had mentioned it a while back, uh, what comics are you reading nowadays? <clears throat>
0: um... Yeah, I should be able <laughs> to answer that relatively quickly. Uh, I just read and enjoyed Alters from Aftershock. I read mostly superhero comics. That is my interest. That's been my interest since childhood. So I have read some of the Rebirth stuff from DC and will continue. I'll always read anything about Batman because, you know, Batman was the character you could grow up to be. When mm-hmm. you were a little kid, you just had to train hard, be super smart, and be really grim and gritty. Um, uh, I obviously follow Spider-Man because I think Dan Slott is an unbelievably good writer and doing a terrific job on it, and he's a character near and dear to my heart. Um, I enjoyed, actually, Secret Wars from Marvel, and I enjoyed how they came out the other side of it. I'm a little confused by certain elements, especially in the Spider Man universe. I can't quite follow if Spider Gwen and Spider Ben are living in the same universe as Peter Parker's Spider Man and Miles Morales Spider Man. I know Miles Morales is here in our universe. But mm-hmm. a little confused by some of those elements. Not really interfering with my enjoyment of reading those comics. Mm-hmm. Um Another comic I really enjoy, also from Aftershock, interestingly enough, I hadn't even realized this until you asked me, is Rough Riders. Uh, I think that's a really neat concept with Teddy Roosevelt and Thomas Edison and Annie Oakley as uh, characters in a team. Um, what other comics? Oh, obviously Ragnarok, Walt Simonson, anything he writes or draws I will be the first thing I, I read uh, in my weekly bundle. I read most of my comics now through Comixology. I've sort of gone to the dark side and I do read most of my comic books digitally uh, <laughs> partly because I'm, I live in a Manhattan apartment with my wife and two kids. Well, one of my kids is off to college but there's a limited amount of space and I appear to have filled every inch of the space available to me already so uh, digital comic books is a solution to that.
1: I I definitely agree, and I don't think a lot of uh, people would begrudge you that. I know I love being able to have, like, eight trades worth of comics on a device instead of having uh, eight more trades on my bookshelves.
0: Yeah, and there's so many advantages to it. If you go traveling, you know, same with books. There's comic books. I don't have to carry four books with me in case I finish reading two or three of them. I just have a sample of whatever... Of ten other books besides the one I've already downloaded and purchased, and I'm reading. And if I finish reading a book at two thirty in the morning, whether I'm home or on the road, I can start reading one of the other samples. I like it. I hit purchase, and now I have it complete. You know, there's so many advantages to it.
1: Definitely, I've definitely. I it's become a, a big part of my comic reading process, especially for older stuff along with Unlimited, because it's so much easier to also go onto the app and find something instead of having to look in every back issue bin and, like, going show to show, even though there are some series that I definitely make uh, the effort to get in print. Mm -hmm.
0: I I honestly miss the heft of books and comic books and the smell of them and the ink rubbing off on my fingers. I miss elements of that, but the trade-off is worth it for me.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, is there anything else that you want to mention or talk about
0: I would like to mention a project that I'm involved with right now I've launched a new uh, company or a startup company called My Bean Jar and what we do is we deliver targeted digital coupons as rewards for achievements in games and other digital content the app is available in the app store and then there's a website mybeanjar.com but specifically to your audience, I'd like to say that we've done a joint project, My Bean Jars has done a joint project with the nonprofit comic book legal defense fund, mm-hmm. and it's a sliding tile puzzle game called Angry Babies. We slide tiles around to complete a picture, and we've got a number of uh, highly respected comic book professionals who've donated Angry Baby versions of their characters or celebrities or other characters to the game, those they range from Walt Simonson to Mike Fiodato, Ian Churchill, Tom Morgan, Tom Palmer, uh, uh, Michael Gilbert's done an Angry Baby Mr. Monster, um, and, and a number of new talent as well, and those puzzles of their Angry Baby characters are available for purchase within the game for 99 cents, of which all of that goes to the nonprofit comic book legal defense fund to support them working to support First Amendment rights for comic book creators. And I would love for people to check out the game and first and foremost enjoy the game second to make a couple of purchases to support the comic book legal defense fund and even better to sign up for my bean jar at the same time and start winning free stuff at other content and games.
1: Wonderful. I will... Make sure to also put a link in that in the episode uh, notes.
0: Much appreciated.
1: Uh, thank you again for coming on and having this conversation with me.
0: Happy to do it. And any other time, if there's any other topics I can contribute to, please feel free to contact me again.
1: Oh, I will be more than happy to. And it is definitely interesting how there is a greater look being taken at old stories uh, in the podcast format. Uh, I'm not sure how many or if you listen to any podcasts. Uh, but there's a few like uh, Journey into Misery, which uh, covers like a different uh, superhero like run or backstory each week. Or uh, Jay and Miles explain the X-Men, which is going through chronologically all of the X-Men stories. And wow. Yeah, it's, uh, they're interesting projects, uh, just taking looks back at, uh, what had been there before, but it's, uh, like, even in the stuff that I've been reading, I am learning a lot as a writer and an editor, and even just, like, putting together things that I didn't before.
0: Yeah, I've noticed that I'm getting more requests for interviews for podcast. In fact, I just did one last night with Howard Mackey about the Clone Saga or another, I won't name the podcast because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to plug your competition on your podcast.
1: Oh, but, it's not competition. Uh, be... it, it, it's not like we're charging or anything.
0: Okay, well, it was Amazing Spider Talk
1: mm-hmm. and
0: they talked to us last night about the Clone Saga because as you said, more and more people are looking at that and I have... Uh, another interview scheduled uh, next week with someone about the same thing. They're looking back at Spider-Man from those years. Not specifically focused on the Clone Saga, but the time period that I was working on it. So I'm experiencing it personally that there's more and more of what you just said going on.
1: Okay. Well, thank you again for taking the time to uh, talk with me. Great, Luke. I look forward to it. Thank you very much. Thank you.